0: Have you, ever, we're life. have you ever watched an illicit movie?
1: What is that word again? <laughs> e- illicit or illicit?
0: E- illicit, I- illicit, uh, we illicit. By together.
1: illicit, well, and by illicit, what, did, what level are you talking about?
0: Did you ever watch Faces of Death back in the day? No, what's mm-hmm. that? That was something that was going around when I was probably late high school, early university, where it said, I think it's been proven that it was all make-believe. But, like, watching people, like, kill themselves on tape and, like, gruesome stuff like that. (laughs) I actually never actually watched it, but people in my school had and described everything in detail to me. And for me, it was just like, I don't really know why you'd want to watch that. But mostly, this is kind of as a lead-in to talk about snuff filmography. So, have you ever watched anything pretty hardcore as far as pornography goes?
1: Um... Well, I have not watched a pornographic film in which the person is brutally murdered uh, in real life at the end. Uh, <laughs> when did you stop beating
0: your wife, David?
1: <laughs> well, actually, let's not go. No, what's the what's the line? What's the sliding ruler here of uh, illicit pornography? I watched, yeah. uh, you know... Regular internet pornography, which is a funny term, because nothing (laughs) regular. What is regular Um, about that? I remember the weirdest thing was we have a small. We used to have a small core group of uh, friends. um, They were a little bit younger than us. That were a little bit nerdier, and they were like computery, and so they were apparently very in the dark web.
0: Oh baby,
1: and so they had. Oh, their, the
0: machine just made a noise when you said dark web.
1: It looks aroused. So they would describe. <laughs> Is
0: that a gauge in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me?
1: They they would describe things that they had watched, mm-hmm. but never like, they were not boasting about it. It came out because of the two girls, one cup face. Yeah.
0: I accidentally, accidentally, uh, I did see that for about five seconds.
1: That's the thing. We, I'd been avoiding it. I thought it was ridiculous. And then we were at uh, a party at someone's house and uh, someone whipped open a laptop as a drunken thing where there was like, you got it. And I was like, no, this um, and that's where that conversation came up. You know, we had heard the the headlines of, you know, being able to watch, murders and beheadings and all that kind of shit uh, on video, Uh, Mm -hmm. but I have no interest in watching that for myself. I don't find it arousing.
0: So I guess I should uh, take away this cup. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine. Cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen, this monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films The Machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This, this is, is Kyle and Kyle Dave, Dave versus, 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 versus The machine.
1: machine.
0: Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine. I am Kyle. I'm Dave. And that's The Machine. In this first season, the machine is forcing us to watch the movies that were released in 1999 each successive week. This week, we get to talk a little bit about Eight mm
1: This is the mortgage, Cindy's college money. Mm-hmm. If I do right by Mrs. Krishnan, the circle she runs in, this could be the break we've been waiting for. Can't take more than a couple weeks. That's all I can tell you, honey. Sometimes you can't know what I'm doing. It's better that. To- always that way you come highly recommended mr wells you're praised for your discretion thank
0: you ma'am as you know my husband passed away recently yes my husband was the only
1: one with the combination to this safe these were my husband's private things i didn't i didn't realize do you want to tell me what you found mrs christian
0: So Dave, what is your history with 8mm?
1: I have no uh, direct history with 8mm, meaning I didn't watch it. had no desire to watch it. I remember uh, topically that there was quite a lot of controversy Mm. over the film at the time, but I didn't really follow it up too much. I think, I don't remember 99 if I'd already broken up with Nicolas Cage. When was Face Off?
0: Not that I would know this yet, but there might be a Several time, future before. in the episode, sometime in the future of this episode, where we'll talk about Face Off. Okay. Uh,
1: I don't think I was a. I mean, I know I'm going to offend my idol Andy Samberg, but uh, I'm not a Nicolas Cage fan. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I stand by it. I have no. I have no remorse. And so that movie came, and I think at the time I was still a uh, huge fanboying River. Mm. And so the idea River that Phoenix, uh, yeah. Joaquin was kind of making a move as the weird, eccentric did uh, the, the machine fart? I, like, I just, I thought it was so weird. It felt, I feel like now, I feel a little icky. I don't, well, I don't really I don't know. I,
0: I don't know when I would have actually known about 8mm. For sure, I would have seen it advertised like for trailers on, on TV. This was still at a time when I didn't have a movie theater in my small town that I grew up in. So any chance of watching a movie would have had to have been my parents allowing us to rent it. Not in a million years would they have let us probably rent this movie if they read the back of the box. Although, to be fair, we saw some pretty R-rated stuff with our parents in the room kind of guiding that conversation a little bit. But I just do not see them being like, oh, yes, we're going to watch someone, you know, do the things that they do in this movie. Uh, As far as Nicolas Cage, like, I would have seen his big hits of the last few years. Like, I would have seen The Rock. I would have seen Face Off. Sure con air con air i would have seen all that kind of stuff so i think that was what my interpretation was of nicholas cage and it wasn't until years later where i got to understand the real wildness of nicholas cage of like his like raising arizona nicholas cage or leaving las vegas like like the funny nicholas cage which doesn't really show up and definitely as i went into university i was still going and watching Natural treasure and, and and those sorts of things but uh Definitely, Nicholas Cage is a is a very polarizing figure nowadays. Only because I don't know he's he's done full Nicholas Cage. I don't know how else to talk about. He just picks movie projects that are weird, and if you're not into weird films, you're probably just not even going to engage with it.
1: I feel like at this point, this podcast should be a video once that people can see. The expression I have on my face, mm-hmm. which is one of torture, basically as
0: if you had mm-hmm. just drinking a very like bitter cup of tea. I,
1: I mean, I'll give Nicolas Cage this much credit. Um, what was the?
0: From now on, you have to say Academy Award winner Nicolas Cage. But sure,
1: <laughs> I'll give Academy Award winner Nicolas Cage this much uh, credit. Uh, what was that Kick Ass? Mm-hmm. I thought he was really good in that. So that's okay. It. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so, end, end of sentence. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, just a follow up, I would like to know your opinion on John Travolta. Mm. Yeah. Because I think there's I feel like what,
0: I think probably what, how you feel about Nicolas Cage is how I feel about John Travolta. <laughs> I feel like they're the same. There is three good films John Travolta has ever made.
1: I, I wouldn't even include like Staying Alive and stuff in there, but like, yeah, we'll move on from that yeah, yeah, yeah. before I really incriminate myself.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, I guess we should probably go and talk about more about the movie. <laughs> Oh, okay, well, we, sorry, the uh, the machine is printing out this receipt here for me to read, and uh, I think it wants us to change our format up here a little bit. It is saying that we need to talk about our sponsors for this week's episode, or else will not let us continue, so...
1: It's like an obligatory pod OS update.
0: Yes, exactly. You know, I'm trying to do something, and Java, you know, it just jumps out at you. Needing you to update it before you can do any little thing you want to on the internet. But we love our sponsors. They provide us the money to, you know, buy the duck fat that I have to feed into this machine to power it.
1: Organics. Mm-hmm. It's an organic machine. It's
0: an organic. Hey, green. Go green. Hi, it's just Kyle here again. David realized he had a bunch of overdue DVDs that he had to go in return, so I guess he's off doing that. Just like normal people, I'm here to let you know that Kylan Day vs. The Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. So here's the deal. Artists are often underserved at banks because they don't fit a typical profile freelance director Michael and actor Nicole kept getting turned down when they applied for a mortgage. Then they found ATB's branch for arts and culture. The branch offers a different approach to banking and lending that caters to the unique situations of people working in creative industries. Now Michael, Nicole, and their son Luke have a home that they love. To see more of their inspiring story, visit ATB.com Bradleys and visit ATB.com slash The Branch to find out how ATB's Branch for Arts and Culture can support your career in the arts. This week, Colin Davis vs. the Machine is also brought to you by Seat Giant. We are super happy to be partnering with Seat Giant to offer you a deal on tickets to major sporting events, big concerts, popular theatre throughout North America, and more. Whether you're at home or on vacation, check SeatGiant for tickets to the hottest events, whether that's the NHL playoffs, the upcoming CFL season, maybe Hamilton is coming sometime through a city near you. Whatever it is, you can visit SeatGiant.ca to find tickets. Use the promo code APN at checkout to get 5% off your purchase. You'll save a bit, and the network gets a little cut of your purchase too all tickets are in canadian dollars even for events that are in the u.s seat giant is canadian owned and operated and it guarantees every ticket so help yourself through a great experience while helping the aware podcast network and a canadian-owned business visit seatgiant.ca and use the offer code apn i think the next thing we need to do is talk a little bit about the context of how this film was released right this film 8mm was released on February 26th, 1999. Uh, there were a bunch of releases on the same day, but the only one that may have a shred of cultural relevance, at least in this machine's humble opinion, is 200 Cigarettes, which was written by Shayna Larson, directed by Risa Bremen Garcia, and starring. So let me take a breath here. <sighs> Ben Affleck, Casey Affleck, Dave Chappelle, Guillermo Diaz, Angela Featherstone, Janine Garofalo, Gabby Hoffman, Kate Hudson, Courtney Love, Jay Moore, Martha Plimpton, Christina Ricci, and Paul Rudd.
1: You know, what's shocking, other than your perfect enunciation of so many uh, names, is with that cast, at least in hindsight, why have I never heard of this movie?
0: I, I agree. I had a chance here recently, for no reason, to be looking up the IMDb page of this. I'm like... I have literally no recollection of this movie whatsoever. And it has so many people. Uh, it bombed. Like, it did not do very well at the box office. No one talks about it. Apparently, it's just not a very good movie. But still something that has, I wouldn't even say a cult following, but there was a bit of a <laughs> resurgence of it here recently. I think it's just based on the people that are in it that people are like, why have, has, does no one talk about this movie anymore? Regardless, 8mm is currently rated 6.5 on IMDb, 19 on Metacritic. It is 22% and 52% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's critics and then the general audience. Wait, so sorry, 22 critics, 52 general audience.
1: It tipped on the positive side on of the, on, 50 yeah. with the viewers. With the viewers who watched the film, <laughs> who actually watched to completion, I would assume. It logged into the website and yes. publicly declared correct. A cor-
0: uh, it is available on DVD and Blu ray. You can also buy or rent it on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Uh, nowhere can you stream this currently, not, at least not here in Canada. It stars Nicolas Cage as Tom Wells, Joaquin Phoenix as Max California, James Gandolfini as Eddie Poole, and Peter Stormare as Dino Velvet. Let's go into some of those people that are in this film. Let's start with Peter Stormare. Peter Stormare I love is a. Yeah, he's great. He's a Swedish actor born on August 27th, 1953. His last name is actually Storm.
1: Ooh, cool. It's a stage
0: name for to be Stormare. He, he shared a last name with a fellow student in school, so he wanted to stand out, so he changed his name. Stormare in Swedish means stormer, like a stormer of the castle.
1: Ooh, even cooler. Uh,
0: although the most wild thing is that he considered for a moment, according to an interview, to change his name to retap Marat's, which is this Peter Storm spell backwards. Uh, that would have been that's a that's a thing it, now. It is a choice. If he it had an ad, a right?
1: Like if he if he was if he was breaking out now, mm-hmm. and he added that, yeah, he, might, right. he might
0: he might have been gone somewhere. Yeah, I mean. His very first movie credit is actually uncredited. He appeared in the classic Fanny and Alexander, the Ingmar Bergman classic, in 1982. He would go on to be in a handful of Swedish films before doing more English language movies. Some of those include Awakenings, Damage, Fargo, Mercury Rising, and The Big Lebowski, so the Coens were big fans of his. The year before 8mm was released, audiences would probably have recognized him for being in the Frogger episode of Seinfeld, as well as in the huge hit Armageddon. Since 8mm, Stormare has gone on to be a fairly prolific character actor. His highlights include Dancer in the Dark, Lot, Minority Report, Bad Boys 2, Nacho Libre, 22 episodes of the TV series Prison Break, a bunch of other TV drama guest spots, 22 Jump Street, and John Wick Chapter 2.
1: For me, Constantine.
0: I I didn't know. Sorry, man. I'm sorry, machine. You didn't didn't include it. In the last three years, he has done so many TV shows. His credits are numerous as a series regular and as a guest star. And coming up in 2020, you'll get to see him in The Obscure Life of the Grand Duke of Corsica. Does that sound familiar? No. Oh, well, it should because it's a movie you might remember from our Still Crazy episode because it's co-starring Timothy Spall, and we mentioned it very briefly when we uh, talked about that movie. He's currently also recording his voice for the animated movie Troll Hunters.
1: Oh, I tried to watch that. That's the Netflix one before that. No
0: idea. Apparently, it's a part of a big series. Yeah, that's what I think created uh, in Sweden and then made into uh, English language and stuff as well.
1: That's the one where... um... What's that kid that was in the Star Trek movie died by running himself over with a car? Oh, Anton Yelchin. He was the voice. Really? First season of the main character. Interesting. Uh, And then he wasn't.
0: James Gandolfini. James Gandolfini was born on September 16th, 1961. He's actually a junior. His dad has the exact same name as he does. Uh, He did not pursue acting until his friend, Roger Bart. Do you know who Roger Bart is? No, blank. Roger Bart is the voice of Hercules in the Disney film. Also, the singing voice for Hercules in in the animated film. Anyways, I
1: don't, I don't know why I didn't uh, put those things. Come together. on, Have you, it was you a good got movie.
0: deep into Disney lore like this idiot over <laughs> here. So Roger Bart asked him to come to an audition just for as a friend to come with him as he goes to audition, and Gandolfini kind of fell into this acting class because of it, and then began a career on Broadway for a few years. So thank you, Roger Bart. His first movie role was in the 1987 film Shock, 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 a horror film about a lunatic who escapes an asylum. Uh, He would have supporting or bit parts in The Last Boy Scout, True Romance, Terminal Velocity, Crimson Tide, and Get Shorty. But certainly I think he's probably most remembered for the role of Tony Soprano in The Sopranos, which would premiere in the same year that this movie came out just about Mm. seven months later. So 1999 was maybe a good year for James Gandolfini. Uh, That role of Tony Soprano would enter the public zeitgeist and it would also net him Three Emmy Awards, a Golden Globe, and five Screen Actor Guild Awards with numerous other nominations in other branches. Uh, This is Kyle speaking, by the way. I'm not sure he was ever able to translate that into a film career, but he would work consistently. Anyways, uh, the roles after 8mm would include In the Loop, The Mexican, Killing Them Softly, Zero Dark Thirty, and Enough Said. Tragically, he would pass away of a heart attack while with his family in Italy after sightseeing in very hot weather. He was cremated with his ashes being given to his family. Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix was born on October 28, 1974. He is the middle of five children, all of whom were actors at some point. His family struggled for a while, and so his parents and all the children entered talent competitions in order to help pay the bills. Eventually, a very well-known talent agent named Iris Burton discovered the family and helped them start their careers. Now, his brother River had, like, catapulted to success. Uh, Especially if you're someone that remembers movies in the 80s and early 90s. Like, River Phoenix was a big deal. Many people looked at him as, like, the second coming of James Dean. And, unfortunately, River succumbed to the same fate by dying very young. On October 31st, 1993, River overdosed at a club. And it was Joaquin who phoned the police to come and get help. Uh, That recording was played over and over again in the news. And as such, the entire family just retreated from the public eye, and Joaquin actually stopped acting entirely for a few years. The first film he was in after he came back was called To Die For, a film by Gus Van Sant, and starring Nicole Kidman. But it was after 8mm that Phoenix's career kind of really took off the way that we know it today. He'd be in Gladiator, Signs, The Village, Walk the Line, The Master, Her, and Inherent Vice. He continually had rave reviews for his talent, And that came to a head with his portrayal of the Joker in the film Joker. At this year's Academy Awards, that film had the most nominations, and he won Best Actor. Which I think he should have won for the Master, but that's just me. His next film is set to release later this year. It's called Come On, Come On, directed by Mike Mills. The plot is unknown as of right now.
1: Should we not bring up the fact that his roles are of an unhinged human, Mm. and then he went unhinged, at least in the public eye? Yeah, And then he's coming back to reclaim his unhingedness and throw it in your face and tell you that he was hinged the whole time.
0: The the, the thing about Joaquin Phoenix is that, and I don't know if you're going to take this as a compliment or not, uh, he reminds me a lot of you, which is that you're, it's not super mean, but if you ever, if you saw his Golden Globes acceptance speech, for instance, it was like, why did you all come here on private jets? You're all fools. You're all hypocrites. Thank you for this award. Um, And I feel that's a very like David Young type of thing. It's like, uh, all this is meaningless. None of this is real. Good night, everyone. <laughs> and but, then thank walk off. No, but thank I you. I appreciate. I yeah. appreciate the the sentimentality.
1: I did enjoy, uh, as we talked about a little while ago, watching that YouTube clip of Ricky Gervais uh, mm-hmm. being a dick. Yeah, sweet. I'll be Joaquin. Sure. Yeah, if I could grow a beard.
0: Uh, well, I'll be I'll be Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage is. I don't know how to finish that sentence. Uh, if you don't know, he is Francis Ford Coppola's nephew. Uh, So he certainly had family in the film industry, and he certainly has talent, uh, but you can never say that he's boring. He was born on January 7th, 1964, and he's always been very focused. At 15, he demanded that Francis Ford Coppola give him a screen test. He's quoted as saying, I'll show you acting, and his outburst was met with complete silence, legitimately. To avoid accusations of nepotism... At least early in his career, he changed his last name to Cage in part because of Luke Cage, because uh, he's a huge comics nerd. If you don't know, he named his son Cal L after Superman's real name. He would eventually get into movies. He had a bit part in 1982's Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He was also in Valley Girl and Francis Ford Coppola's film Rumblefish. He would also get to work with the Cohen brothers in Raising Arizona and he would get critical responses in Moonstruck and Peggy Sue Got Married and would win an Oscar for his role in Leaving Las Vegas. Then, the late 90s happened, and I'm convinced that something broke inside of him. Uh, That's the machine saying that, but I agree. He went full action star in three successive years, starting in 1996. He was in The Rock, Con Air, and then Face Off. And this is where the Nicolas Cage we all know kind of started from, the wild-eyed Nicolas Cage, or at least partly. There was a joke for a while that, For every good Nicolas Cage movie, there was like two bad ones. I think that that may have been extended to three or four by now. But he can certainly put in a great performance, even in wacky films. After 8mm, in the same year, he was in Martin Scorsese's Bringing Out the Dead. But then he would go on to be in Gone in 60 Seconds, Captain Corelli's Mandolin, Adaptation, The Weatherman, National Treasure, Ghost Rider, Kick-Ass, Season of the Witch, Snowden, Vengeance, A Love Story, Mandy and is the voice of Spider-Man Noir in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Great movie. It's a phenomenal movie. Just wildly different genres and qualities that you see there. The next film, according to IMDb, is Jiu-Jitsu, with the only description being a new sci-fi martial arts franchise from Dimitri Logothetis, Logothetis, director-producer of kickboxer Retaliation. Uh, But the one that Kyle is most looking forward to is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. This was reported back in November, so who knows if it's ever going to happen. But I hope it does. In the movie, Cage will play a fictionalized version of himself in what is described as a meta story in which he has paid $1 million to attend a wealthy superfan's birthday party. He then has to become a version of some of his most iconic and beloved characters in order to extricate himself from an increasingly dangerous situation uh yes please
1: uh pass however i'll give it this much uh leeway jcvd
0: oh great movie right right where, where uh, jean-claude kind of plays himself but has to save like a bank heist from happening
1: right you see i mean uh, i would never say that jean-claude is a actor <laughs> uh, an actor but he is a star but Christ is the actor and the star. Yeah, that movie, the, the vulnerability when he's like mm-hmm. in his tortured actual, well, I mean, presumably actual self, and then the irony of the of the whole thing of him mm-hmm. beating some ass. It's just, that yeah. movie is amazing. Great. I have to revisit
0: it. <laughs> I want to see if it holds up. This movie was written by Andrew Calvin Walker. He was born on August 14th, 1964. His credits are not that extensive. He began as a writer on Tales from the Crypt and seems to specialize in psychological horror slash gruesome stories. Before this movie, he wrote Seven for David Fincher, Mm. and then he would go on to write Sleepy Hollow and The Wolfman, the one starring Benicio Del Toro. However, his last credit is for the animated film Nerdland, which came out in 2016. Never heard of it. Don't know what it is.
1: Those are are good. uh, That's actually a pretty good list of... uh, Pretty good list.
0: Uh, And apparently, this is according to IMDb, this receipt says in front of me. He helped David Fincher do some uncredited rewrites for some of his films, like The Game and Fight Club. But again, those are uncredited, so I don't know how much he added or or what he actually did. For this movie specifically, he has never seen it because he had a huge falling out with director Joel Schumacher. Uh, The film obviously has some deeply disturbing imagery and subject matter. The studio wanted to lighten the tone. Walker didn't want to lighten the tone. And then Schumacher agreed with the studio and did his own rewrites without Walker. Uh, and so he just walked away from the production completely. So I can't say for sure what his, his stuff versus what Schumacher's stuff is. But I'm guessing the weird plot structure is due to that rift. Lastly, uh, directed by Joel Schumacher, he was born on August 29th, 1939. When he realized he wanted to work in film, he moved to Hollywood and started as a costume designer. So, in fact, many of his first credits are for film in the 1970s, with him being the costume designer. The first film that he directed was the Lily Tomlin film, The Incredible Shrinking Woman, from 1981. Now, his name in some film circles is synonymous with awful films. Uh, And that may be justified, as you'll see in a moment. But it's not as if he hasn't made some great stuff. On his resume is The Lost Boys, Flatliners, and Falling Down. But he also took over for Tim Burton on the Batman franchise and directed the last two of those films, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin.
1: Did he design the nipple suit?
0: You know, the films that introduced nipples on the bat suit. That was the next sentence I was about to read, but probably.
1: You like, a costume designer. Now I'm thinking nipples on the suit, man. Nipples on the suit.
0: Um, that was my nickname in high school. Those films are over the top cheesy ridiculousness. There are even some fans, but mostly those are considered pretty awful. He would go on after 8mm to direct Tigerland, which is actually very well-reviewed, and Phone Booth, The Phantom of the Opera, a really bad adaptation, Uh, and a number 23. So I'm probably not helping with saying that he's made good stuff. The last film that he directed was in 2011, which also starred Nicolas Cage and also co-starred Nicole Kidman. It was called Trespass. It was not very well-regarded. Uh, Something that shouldn't be dismissed, though, is that he has been openly gay for his entire career and something that he claims can be seen in his filmography. The budget for this film was $40 million.
1: What? Okay, yeah, keep going. Yeah, that's a lot.
0: If converted to today's dollars, that would be $58 million.
1: I feel like if someone gave us $58 million, Kyle. Yeah. We could make eight millimeter.
0: <laughs> I probably could. I probably could. In its opening weekend it made fourteen million dollars, eventually grossing thirty six million domestically, but added on another fifty-nine internationally for a total of ninety-six point six million dollars, which adjusted for inflation is around one hundred and forty million dollars. So I mean not a huge runaway hit, but not a total disaster either.
1: Shock shocking.
0: That is eight millimeter. I'm not going to beat around the bush. We both did not like this film no. very much. Why don't you like this movie, David?
1: Um, Because it exists. I mean, well, uh, fundamentally. First of all. yeah,
0: Exists because of the subject matter or the way that it was executed?
1: And that's, you know, I, I think that's the interesting question. Especially learning about the discord between a writer who, uh, from his resume, is a deeply disturbed and someone who wants to bring these um mm.
0: Because, I mean, contrasting this with, with Seven, for instance, that is also very dark subject matter, but handled in a way that is still thrilling and interesting and you want to see what happens. It's, I feel like there's those elements here. Like, after we finished watching, I told you, I, I really do believe there is actually a great movie hiding inside of this. I just don't ever see it actually coming together.
1: Yeah, the, the cartooniness. Uh, I mean, there's so many problems with this movie and pacing and tone and uh, plot and dialogue and <laughs> acting. And uh, and uh, costume design, even we mm. noticed that, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. set design and yeah, plot. Yeah,
0: that leather jacket that Nicholas Cage starts wearing Darkness. totally took me out of the movie.
1: Darkness. No, uh, but you know, it, it's a good point. Subject matter-wise, if we were inclined to want to make a comment on the plausibility or perhaps in his world confirmed existence of these things like snuff films, phrasing it in a narrative of a person getting caught up and having to chase it into mm-hmm. the so-called heart of darkness and getting consumed by this quest. I mean, there's, there's a lot you could do with something, as you saw in Seven and and with all of his other films. Right. Uh,
0: I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm also even thinking of another much more recent movie, but Taken is, is kind of a similar thing. Yes. Again, Hollywood eyes, but taking the idea of you know, uh, stealing a, a girl to throw her into sex slavery, a, a sex slavery and, yeah. is basically like finding a woman, dragging her off the streets and making her be in a snuff film that she obviously did not sign up for.
1: And the, and the controlled planned, you know, structure of those operations, which is fascinating. This one was a little bit more cast in a, you know, murderous, social, like a, mm-hmm. a sociopathic sense, like everybody's a monster which is a bit cartoonish too, and gets that Joel, jule- like uh, now that I'm getting this tone from the robot, uh, machine, sorry, uh, that was, oh shit. Um, okay, careful what you say. Yeah, the, all the characters become very cartoony. It's almost, oh, well, not almost, it's generally unwatchable because everybody's a cartoon character. There, there isn't mm. anything.
0: So you, you didn't feel like there's ever any real menace within the film itself?
1: Other than the gore and shock, no. Um, you know, there's a moment with uh, whatever the ma- the machine, the masked, the, the masked. masked that masked, is what he's called. Yeah, yeah, that's right. the masked killer. Where there's that a horror movie fear, just mm-hmm. because he's you know it's a you know, again a cartoon character of uh, of pure evil, um, but it it feels so cheap, right. particularly so, in its resolution. It's, it's just.
0: I I watched this movie in university. I remember you know renting this and, and watching it don't know why I decided to rent this movie in particular, but I did when I, when I was watching it. And it was really eye-opening to watch it now because I can definitely see how I have, like, I guess, evolved as both a, a watcher of film and maybe my own, you know, hang-ups or my own history has caught up with me. And I just do not remember this movie being as bad as it actually was. I re- vividly remember some of those shocking scenes that you see of the snuff film, of that girl being killed. Uh, and those flashes of violence that was what stuck out of my head but I thought that the plot was like fine and it carried it forward and it's like watching this now as you know a late 30s person I was like this plot doesn't really make any lick of sense why is he doing what he's doing I don't really feel pulled through this story and I think that there is some really obvious ways to somewhat criticize the movie that wasn't made versus the movie that was made but I feel that there was some very obvious ways that you could really kind of fix those things, which is I feel what we're supposed to be feeling is our Nexus Cage character, you know, trying to get by trying to support his family and then gets kind of sucked into this like awful thing that he's having. He gets consumed by his work. We've seen that kind of story multiple different times in a, in a lot of different films. But the thing that is similar here is that he meets with this woman whose daughter is pulled there. He has a very new father with a daughter of his own And I never really felt that there was like much...
1: No, it's garbage. (laughs) Bringing that into
0: it. I think they maybe sort of tried, but like they have the great Catherine Keener as his wife who does nothing in this movie because she's not asked to do anything. I get that. But you get like a phenomenal actress as Catherine Keener and you basically just have her be the wife who gets upset at her husband for going off. It's like, well, she's kind of justified for yelling at her, her husband for just leaving them and not talking to them for two and a half weeks.
1: I mean, I haven't watched Seven in years, but, you know, thinking about this, if we were going to spend too much time <laughs> trying to rewrite this movie, you know, if for example, and I think there is this line where we're trying to also cast the Nicolas Cage character as somebody who is going to lean towards the snuff film mm-hmm. world in general. I don't think he's supposed to be the quote unquote every man. And so you have that opening montage where he's like in and out of airports doesn't make any sense. And then like the lying about smoking, except he's smoking in front of her, which doesn't make any sense. You know, like, uh, they yeah, just these not little, pieced together really well.
0: Well, those are usually the types of things that, like, add character depth to a character. And in here, it's like, none of this actually leads make sense. anywhere, though. No. Like, the smoking doesn't really infol- inform his character past, like, the first five minutes. The waking up in a new uh, airport all the time never really comes back into the story whatsoever. So I don't even see why wasting the time of focusing on that has anything to do with anything.
1: Yeah, I bet, uh, if I had to bet, I bet that the conceptual script, you know, whatever stage pass, would have been probably to spend a little bit more time there just to show how conflicted he is as a human. And I wonder if it would have even worked better uh, if he didn't have a family. Uh, this idea of paral- creating a parallel and a threat to a newborn baby doesn't click. I mean, if he had at least had a, a daughter, like a family with a daughter of an age, you know, let's say 12 or 13, where there's an actual threat that it's not just, uh, you know, a uh, revenge, what do you call it? Retributional death to everyone you know, but like an actual threat, kind of like in Taken, that, you know, your actual daughter would suffer this fate. Mm -hmm. But there's a separation there. And then the other thing too that's Mars, the whole thing is this weird um, depiction of uh, class, you know, the whole... Uh, impetus of the of the film is that the super rich guy can do whatever he wants gets so bored with his money and luxury decides he 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 needs to go to the extreme let's pay somebody to to murder a girl yeah. in a sexual way too which is you know depravity but they don't explain the family either we don't get any backstory why this guy is such a fucking weird thing and then once he goes down the path the depiction of the underworld is so cheesy like it, it may actually exist that way but we go from a beautiful mansion, wide ankles, there's servants in the background. Like, and then all of a sudden Nicholas Cage is literally going to these tunnels with like these S people trying to lick his face. And yeah,
0: uh, I don't know. I, I actually, weirdly enough, I think that's the one part of the movie that I thought worked a little bit, which is you, you go from like this high class society and like, they're so far removed from like quote unquote, the reality of what they're asking these people to do. Maybe, a different director might have been able to lean in in that a little bit more and really show that differentiation or maybe in a more realistic way.
1: Or even, and and this is really unfair because we are watching it and and commenting, but if it had been done in a much more gradual and subtler sense to reflect how he's breaking Mm -hmm. down his pretense of being a normal human being. But, you know, as soon as he gets off a plane, he's in these like broke, when he visits the finds the cracks, the case with the mom and We'll we'll well, also get into the...
0: How how awful of an investigator he is. I know he's not actually a cop, but I don't...
1: You don't even learn why he's how he can use his words, which are not well-spoken in the case. And he can convince every single institution. He's in the Justice Department. He's in Sheriff's Office. Well, this
0: movie has that weird paradox of being paced almost too fast and too slow at the exact same time yeah like there's points of that like during his investigation where i'm not joking like the camera stays on him flipping through a card stack for 35 seconds it's like yeah I get it like he's flicking through a card picture sack.
1: by picture yeah,
0: picture by picture I'm and like, then they cut okay. it because he didn't get it
1: yeah <laughs> and then it goes back He then he watches the film again and yeah. this time in a sleeveless right I mean, it's it's white. like, like the- how many times do we actually have
0: to see this guy watching this film like I get that he's watching and investigating trying to figure it out but we don't need to see him like in real time watching this film almost
1: or if you're gonna do that like make that Part of the narrative and show mm-hmm. that he's getting obsessed with the wrong parts of the film or something, but they, they don't right. even do that. It's just. But then when cartoon. he does
0: meet like the, the 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 girl's mother, it's like I'm gonna randomly go over here. I'm gonna go into the bathroom for no reason. I'm gonna lift up the toilet. Oh, there's the piece of evidence I absolutely it's like need. The it. Sauvon, this Savon, this Sherlock like, Holmes. Wait a, second, all like, of like, a Wait, sudden. you need to let me in on a little bit of how he is figuring all this stuff out. And then he just like up jacks a picture, steals a picture from this yeah, so mother. so creepy. Ooh, and the, the shoulder it's touch. It's like, you already have two dozen photos of this girl. Like, what do you need another one for? I don't get it. It's but, so weird.
1: But that's the other thing, like from the class depiction. I mean, she's, you know, albeit the, the, the broken, uh, grieving mom that's got the cashier job. But then you go to the house and the house is like seven-ish. It's where the sin was. It's this, it's not a house. But then when she, when he revisits her and she wants to seduce him, she's dressed up like a, normal like there's so many weird incongruent moments
0: well i'm gonna say this is a bisexual man here for a second and we call out joel schumacher here for a second proudly out in gay man cool i'm all i'm all for that but maybe there's something to that but why i find all the romantic relationships in this movie so freaking weird because the way that he interacts with his wife the way that he tries to console this mother it's like no, there is no, no person so creepy. would try and do it that way. And it's like maybe it's just because you don't have that romantic feeling towards women. It's like him weirdly placing a hand and not moving it on someone's shoulder is like so bizarre. It's like that would make me feel more creeped out <laughs> if you were trying to do that to me. So I wrote some notes down here on my phone, so I just wanted to bring them up here. Uh, at the beginning, they talk about him being in school and like oh, figuring yeah. out if he want what what career path that he wants to do. And his exact quote is that he chose surveillance because I thought it was the future. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and
1: what was the alternative? Like your peers were all going to? Or were they going to be lawyers? Or?
0: Lawyers and police officers and stuff like that. It's like I wanted surveillance, to like track people and stuff like that. Which I guess in a way, sure, surveillance has become more and more. But I still don't know. Like what he means by that?
1: Yeah, it needed a little bit of expounding, you know. Like whether him in the dialogue or in the opening montage. Like if he had at least been shown setting up cameras or whatever the the trope would have been at the time. Or like you know, as he starts getting falls, maybe he could have been the guy at the beginning in the cars and trailing people. And mm-hmm. but even the the first thing he solves, it doesn't make any sense. He's just like he. I don't remember what the crime was. Like it goes to the rich lady, your son is actually doing something. And he walks out and you're like, I, I don't know what happened. I don't mm. give a shit. Like, wh- why is this in this movie? <laughs> it has nothing to do with a, a film. Like I was so confused. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. I uh, The other baffling thing to me is the music
1: choices. Oh my God.
0: And again, talking about like taking forever, there's like two minutes straight of us seeing scenes of Los Angeles, but underneath it playing either some sort of native American Sound Arabic, or Arabic I I, I, and I apologize. Like I should actually know what the language is that was being sung no, there. But we shouldn't like, because it's so out like, of context. It's not, but why is it yeah. that way? Like there's no reason to have some, I mean, I won't say weird music. I'm just saying music that does not fit the scene that it's in. Like usually if you use something that's like uh, anachronistic or, or, is you're trying to subvert expectations of playing like a happy song when something bad is happening. Okay, cool. I get what you're doing here. But this is like, I think it's trying to set the mood somehow, but I don't know what mood it's trying to set me up for.
1: I feel like if that was going to be the intent to just create exotic weirdness, which becomes a little bit racially profiled Mm -hmm. in that moment, but it should have been underscored throughout the entire film. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we do that opening montage where he's like airport to airport, if we're hearing this sort of, you know, foreign sounds mm-hmm. instruments and then the arabic singing or whatever it turns out to be at least there's a tone set where even when you start the movie you're like oh that's like there's something off this is not my america right <laughs> but that's not at least that's not how i remember it uh being there it's just suddenly he's in compton in la and uh these you know stock cuts of like thugs life you know black dudes in corners and like homeless people walking but then instead of being also stereotypical like to a hard you know gangster rap track uh, gangster rap track it's mm-hmm. 1999 i mean this is not controver- uh, controversial and controversial new yet you get this weird you know <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, when he first meets Joaquin Phoenix he buys $74.58 in porn which is just like that's over 100 bucks of today's dollars I was going to say dollars.
1: yeah we should do the conversion it's that's like that a is lot a
0: money. lot of money you're spending on on yeah. magazines here, buddy. And that was
1: the first level of porn, so that's the normal mm. retail level stuff. And he didn't buy the vibrating vagina, right? So I mean, what is that? What you yeah, Why from? even
0: why even bother that at that point? I feel like the, what this movie was going for, trying to be, was like that like updated film noir type of thing where you meet all these like interesting characters and he's right. trying to solely figure out the the answer to it. it does not really shot in that way at all there's no. like the mood's not actually being set up in in that way at all another positive that i'll throw at this movie here though is that it shows penis which is very rare in american film and i think especially in 1999 even nowadays like very rarely do you see male nudity shown on screen it's always female nudity if, if it is actually shown
1: i heard a quote that uh, i think the rule now in hollywood or maybe it's always been is uh as long as it's flaccid, yes, you're okay. That is and true. Once it's erect, it's pornography. It's
0: X. Yeah, you have to rate it X at that point, um, because it's all about the male focus, David.
1: Well, obviously.
0: Mm-hmm. We're, we're, um, what the other thing about it, and again, this is totally my own thing. This is my own hang-ups. But even till this day, and when I ri- initially saw it as well, the mm, sexual perversion—I guess I'll call it—not even perversion, but this—the the way sexuality is displayed in this. Uh, really makes me uncomfortable. And I don't know if it's because it's so violent violent against women that I'm seeing in it. Not to be like some white knight riding in and trying to save the day. It just makes me uncomfortable. Um, I'm not here to kink shame. I'm not here to say, like, you, you're into it and you have, like, a partner that wants to go into that with you. Cool. Do whatever you want. Doesn't affect me in the slightest. But watching that kind of stuff, even simulated in a, in a Hollywood film, it just, like, totally... Freaks me out a little bit. And uh, the, maybe that's just me being a prude. I don't know.
1: No, I, the only thing that jumps out at me is the one scene where he's in one of the dungeons. The film being depicted is actually Dominatrix. Like, ain't, ain't, are we allowed to be this yeah, specific? Yeah. Anally raping a, a dude. Um, Which,
0: according apparently, is an actual film that they sourced and put into the movie. So, And
1: again, like you said, not to kink, kingsha- I mean, if people are out there. Doing what they're doing. I mean that's a slippery slope, so it's not worth it. That's what the movie's on. called actually. <laughs> Maybe it should have been because mm-hmm. as uh, we should talk about uh, why is it called eight <laughs> millimeter?
0: I it is a good question. I guess it's just talking about the film itself, like the, the film he's it's trying he finds, but I don't even know if that is shot in eight millimeter. I don't know if they even say
1: that. It's it's ninety nine, so it's not like eight millimeters is an assumed format anymore. That format had pretty much died out. Right. Like generations ago. So
0: maybe that's why it was so hard to source and find the original print and um, yeah, et cetera, et Maybe cetera. that's
1: the implication. And then the average person's not going to know that. Yeah, only, yeah. only nerds who like movies are going to yeah. know what eight millimeter.
0: So I with. think what's interesting is we're going through 1999 here is to look at this in that context. So first of all, there's another film that we've already watched, uh, Payback. Which is a similar-ish film in that guy going out for revenge, kind of a film noir, extremely violent, that sort of thing. So why does this film fail while that film we felt didn't?
1: Well, the first one is a quote-unquote action film. I think it's built around staging visual stunts and there's a little bit of comedy and... uh, and most of the tension doesn't come from you having to think too much of the subject matter.
0: Yeah. In
1: fact, uh, if you think too much, it's one of those movies, if you think too much of it, the whole thing is not supposed to make sense. So it's, it's actually fun. The dime store novel type of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I started reading the Jack Reacher novels when I used to um, have flights for my last uh, career right. line. I started, after watching, uh, I think the first Jack Reacher, I started buying all those books, right? Uh, because you,
0: you were a 45-year-old dad at that point.
1: Well, I'm just saying, like when you get off the flight... <laughs> and you've read one, you're not better or worse for it. You've just passively you just seen... just are. Yeah, it's a cartoon character. He's like six foot... Well, I mean, uh, no offense, Tom, but yeah, he's, he six, he's six, to six foot five eyes. and like super strong and super smart and super everything. And I think Lee Child even was a document of wanting to quit writing them because they're just so stupid. But uh, they're fun. People like that. And that's payback. It's like you watch Mel Gibson. It's fun. It's a character. It's a cartoon and it's violent. So it's like a you know adult cartoon. It's, it's
0: basically like there's an old Simpsons quote that I constantly go back to, and the family is watching Paint Your Wagon, and they start to sing. But it's like, why did you have to ruin a perfectly serviceable wagon story? <laughs> and it's like I I feel that about this movie. It's like, why did you have to ruin a perfectly serviceable psychological thriller? Yeah, uh, you know what I mean. It's like it's not rocket science. Like even payback, it's not like. It's one of the best films of all time, but no. it's solid. It's fine. It's, it does what it needs to do sort of thing. It's a good sit for two hours is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And where this film is uh, at about the hour mark, we looked at each other like we still have like over 40 minutes of I, this movie to watch.
1: I mean, this is probably not factually true, but I feel like they didn't even get to the eight millimeter showing at the hour mark. It was a lot like a movie we have watched before called A Message in a Bottle. (laughs) Where
0: where we also looked at each other and it's like, we still have 50 minutes of movie left here. Excruciating. Uh,
1: I mean, I have this note too, you know, Joaquin's, uh, being Joaquin and, he, and he's he's so visceral and you get mm-hmm. into it because he's such a fascinating human he commits to his characters right
0: yeah. and Nicolas Cage is being Nicolas Cage I don't think he's right. really bringing that much to the role to be honest but it's but... okay
1: because even their partnership you yeah. know at, at the middle portion when they're delving into this, the yeah the trying sex to uncover role, it like that's kind of, like, of the okay. interesting part yeah. yeah this is the part where I'm like I could see and there's parallels to Seven and stuff you're like oh this becomes a little bit of a murder mystery there's like there's some mm. there's some meat that's probably the wrong word to use in this right game. um but then, like, in the concluding 40-minute, you know, uh, conclusion, because well, yeah. that whole thing took... Oh, my God.
0: It, it's one of those things where it's like, go to this uh, this warehouse, have the final showdown, escape, go back and kidnap someone, go back, go find the other guy and kill him eventually. It's well, like, well, we don't need all of this build-up here because of the fact... It, it almost like it changes into something completely different because the whole thrust of the movie, I maybe mean, again another great word to use in this movie, but uh, the whole lead up to this, it has been trying to uncover what the mystery is and who is behind right. this nut film. Once we figured that out, it's like okay, we figured it out. Now it should be like falling action and, and then the resolution. When you put another 40 extra minutes on there, it's like, we don't need this. And it turned into this thing of him not being able to do violence, I guess.
1: Well, that's the but most that's, insane part.
0: Well, it is because he he goes back to the James Gandolfini character oh, and God. struggles and struggles and like ties him up. It's like, I'm going to shoot you. And then he doesn't want to shoot him. And then he phones the mother and says, like, give me the permission to, to, to kill this guy. And he goes in and still can't shoot him. And so he just beats him to death with the gun. But then... He just goes to the other guy and shoots him in cold blood. So, like, what was the point of this whole thing here? I don't know. If it's, I don't know. Like, it just, the movie doesn't, I don't feel, does not feel like it knows what it needs to do. And I'd have to believe, I could be totally wrong, don't know, but just based on his work in Seven, I feel like this writer probably had a tighter narrative going on. And Schumacher and gang had to be like, we have to appease the studio, make it a little bit more palatable to the general audience and not push too many buttons here. Everyone gets to walk away. I wonder even if some of those people did actually just escape in the original version and like not actually have any.
1: I think one of the big breaks as far as the narrative is, you know, as that what we think is the conclusion is happening as he's captured. I don't know if, spoiler alert, but don't watch this movie, so fuck. Yeah. Uh, And they brought him to be, you know, raped, tortured, and killed. And then all of a sudden Joaquin shows up and they just execute him. And I think at that point, it was so weird, I forgot that he was in the movie. I couldn't even remember right, at that right. point what got us here. And then that fight doesn't make sense. The long walk with the accountant lawyer doesn't make any sense. And this is all
0: like wasting time yeah. to get to the, to the point where we need
1: to get to. And even that walk, how many cuts, like the walk into the into the warehouse, holy shit, there, you see him like, getting out of the car and then it cuts around a corner and then there's a top down and then another, and they're all like different. To- like why? Like <laughs> he, he's just going. We don't need it's this. It's like,
0: it's like what they actually talk a lot in film school. It's like, you don't need to see someone arriving at the house, walking up to the house, opening the door of the house. I right. need to pull up in the house. Like we get it. We know he walked up and went to the house and now he's inside
1: of it. Actually, maybe this is the problem with VR. It's like, right? It's like the point of watching movies, we want a narrative that can conclude in preferably an hour and a half, yeah. unless it's worth the epic, I think. Uh, so I don't want to step every step this idiot is taking. Uh, the James Gandolfini uh, murder scene just, I mean, at that point I was just getting angry. I, yeah. I mean, it's so offensive. Uh, Do you think that
0: this movie says anything about 1999 at all? Like anything that we can take as as a culture now in 2020.
1: Well, I mean, hearing too what what this writer has been writing and the movies we've been watching. I mean, there's, there's a growing cynicism, right? Uh, And this expose culture is starting to emerge where, um,
0: maybe starting to see that, like see the underbelly of the real world. I think it it certainly didn't start in 1999, but I feel like the nineties and early two thousands, we were starting to peel away and being like, Movies are not just escapism anymore. Like, we need to start to confront, like, real-world stuff here. Um, And not something historical, not something, like, way back when or in a fairy tale land or back to the future. You know, that kind of stuff. It's like, no, we are dealing with stuff that is happening in the now, and we want to talk about that.
1: Uh, I, I mean, it sounds so corny, but I wonder, too, if... And this might not be factually true, but I wonder if the Y2K thing... And all the buildup that was garnering in the last, you know, whatever, it's like two years building up to that, gave this sort of sense of release that, you know, if we're doomed anyways, let's stop lying to ourselves about how well we're doing. And a couple of writers are like intellectual people are just like, we already know that this other world exists. We've been papering over it. You know, if we're going to die tomorrow anyways, like, let's just, let's put these things in motion and, and let people know that we are angry and we, we are sadists and we do this thing. And even with the uh, the cheesy movies we're watching, there's a, there's a tone there where there's um, a gradual unraveling. Mm. But again, I I'm not enough of a film buff that I could go year by year to see if this actually you know right. defendable. But it, it feels well, like Well, in a,
0: fifty years, uh, if this machine still is forcing us. If we're to...
1: released by then.
0: Yeah, we're... yeah. Oh. Okay. Well, the machine is telling us that we have talked long enough let me talk to you about some trivia here that's printing out here for me so uh apparently after back-to-back work with batman and some john grisham movies schumacher wanted to reinvent himself with this movie the script for eight millimeter was what he was looking for as it was a dark tale that he felt he could put his signature style on he sure did uh the actress jenny powell the one who was playing marianne matthews the person who was in the snuff film was originally a stripper, uh, hired to act as a stand-in. Joel Schumacher gave her the part of the victim on the 8mm film, as he, she had a suitably haunted look about her, which makes a lot of sense. But also feels like that's a little bit predatory at the same time. Yeah. I feel, but
1: it's, I don't, I don't, I don't want to. Res- no, we'll, we'll move on.
0: Talking about uh, Seven, David Fincher was the first choice to direct this film before Joel Schumacher decided he wanted. To be a part of this project, and of course, Fincher had not really become David Fincher yet at that point. This is a, a, a long one, but uh, Russell Crowe agreed to do this film when Joel Schumacher originally wanted to do a dirty, handheld, gritty thriller. But then somehow, Nicolas Cage got a hold of the script, and said, "I want to be in this," and so Schumacher phoned up the studio and said, "Do you want to do dark and gritty?" Or do you want to do a higher budget film that we can do if Nicolas Cage comes aboard because he had just done three like huge movies in the past three years? This is so
1: unfair, right? But yeah, can you imagine that
0: would have been a much more interesting film, I feel. And
1: I mean, if we even go back, can you imagine ideally like a David Fincher young David Fincher, Gritty Dark with Russell Crowe and Joaquin, I mean, mm-hmm. presumably. presumably.
0: Well, before Gladiator then that without, would have been Yeah, right? Without
1: right. rewrites. hmm Holy shit, Kyle
0: Well. Never to be, but uh, the location of the final battle between Tom and the machine, not this machine, but the one in the film, uh, was a great place uh, because according to Joel Schumacher, he was driving past it to a uh, film set and was like, oh, that's where we should shoot the final scene. The one with like the uh, house in a graveyard. The graveyard, that's a real place. Uh, the neighbors and owners of the house were very hospitable. And in return, Joel Schumacher spat in their face by giving them signed posters of the Batman movies.
1: Is that, no, that, is that a joke? Or that's
0: that... me joking about spending <gasps> in the face, but he did okay. give them signed posters of the Batman movies. No, that's real? That is real. That is what he did in, oh, in, God. in, in exchange for letting them use the house. I'm assuming they got paid money too, but he also gave them.
1: I don't know, man. I don't know.
0: The original cut of this movie was rated NC-17 by the MPAA, uh, and it took five edits to finally get it down to something that could, they could release as an R-rated film. Apparently, this is where Joel Schumacher learned according of the MPAA, you cannot have four consecutive scenes of simulated or graphic images in a movie or else evil will get an automatic NC-17. So they were finally able to do drastic cuts and get it down. Which again, is maybe partly why there's some things that just don't make, don't fit together quite as well because it's like there's maybe chunks missing that would add that context to the film.
1: Even on a topical, like not even thinking about the narrative, if some of the graphic nature of the visuals is actually quite shocking still oh
0: i i agree i think it's there's very uncomfortable like, holy man like i just don't it it certainly is there to shock you and it's i think it's still shocking to oh, this day
1: i want to throw the nick cage uh, meme now It's like why <laughs> why
0: right <laughs> bees i i'm also curious to like It were made today. I wonder if it would bring in the angle of like the damaging effects of pornography as a whole or if it wouldn't even be worried about that. I mean, I don't think this movie is worried about that at all. It's much more like the depravity of these people. But I definitely think that's an interesting take that you could go with this film as well.
1: You couldn't make this movie today because the idea of him... Wow. Tracking up stuff in porn shops. The idea
0: people. of having a $40 million budgeted movie that's marketed towards adults is like a far-off fantasy no. in our filmscape as of right now. Or Netflix would make it and you would forget about it in two days. That's me being cynical. I'm not supposed to be the cynical one on this show.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. I, we've spent a lot of time chained to a desk here, Kyle.
0: That is true. Well, let's get to our ratings here. You can uh, see our whole list of films that we've been talking about if you go to our Letterboxd. Uh, You can see a link to that in the show notes, but it's letterboxed slash KDVSTM. That's Kyle David versus the machine. David, what out of five would you rate this film?
1: I'm wavering between uh, a zero and a one. I I don't want to be too vindictive, but uh, it was a thoroughly such a waste of time. The only reason I would even consider a one is because there is that middle portion where it's slightly watchable. Mm. Um, there's that
0: middle portion that does kind of work
1: actually looking back the whole time it's probably not in the middle it's probably in the (laughs) the first first twenty minutes Um, but just for the sake of you know Joaquin and uh, Nick Cage's uh, you know 20 or 30 minutes of actual investigatory uh, journalism uh, I'd probably give it a one star
0: Mm. well I'm literally right there with you I'm also giving this a one star which means when we average those two scores together let me just check my math here Yep, that uh, averages uh, one. Oh,
1: I had uh, I had zero, sorry. Yeah, go ahead.
0: <laughs> that is actually going to, that's actually going to make it the second worst film that we've watched. It is right above Message in a Bottle currently in our ratings, but definitely on the lower end. One of these days, we really have to hope that the machine gives us a movie that we are going to be very diametrically opposed about like you love it and I hate it or vice versa because currently we've been about like half a percentage point off with each of these
1: and this is the problem with the machine is that uh, 99's
0: I mean some great films coming up yeah
1: uh, we'll see I know one well we'll see I think what we'll need to do Kyle is uh, see if we can (laughs) this is the wrong this is the wrong podcast to say something like this but see if we can entrap another member of the public <laughs> and chain them to this <laughs> desk and subject them through the cruelty uh, of watching one of these films. Well, when we're taken
0: to court, that will be entered into evidence what you uh, just said. So Fuck. good, good, good on you. Awesome. Well, let's find out what we're going to be reviewing next week um, for this receipt. And we are watching. Oh, Some Guy Ritchie action. We're going to be seeing Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Sweet. I probably have not seen this in probably 20 years, to be honest.
1: Yeah, you know, it's like Michael Bay. I have an aversion now to just giving Guy Ritchie my money because Mm -hmm. he essentially makes the same movie over and over again. Mm -hmm. But going back to year one, it's going to be fun because uh, Lock, Stock's, in my mind, uh, uh, amazing.
0: I remember it being good. I also remember loving Snatch, but again, I don't. I don't know. Maybe they simply just don't hold up upon scrutiny. I haven't
1: watched Snatch since, uh, I mean, we used to own the DVD uh, for the children out there. That (laughs) Mm -hmm. was a uh, digital
0: video disc. It's a very versatile disc. Um, We're going to be reviewing that next week. So in the meantime, you can keep in contact with us in a couple of different ways. We do have a Twitter and an Instagram that uh, is updated for... Every so often, that is the same thing that our lighter box is. That's KDVSTM on both of those channels. Again, links to those are in the show notes below. Uh, in the meantime, I guess we'll just sit here, and I'll film you trying to escape
1: uh, on eight millimeter stock. That's I right. We didn't we even get, get that to find out what type here. Of film. And uh, yeah, I hope you can find the soundbite of him continuously screaming, "Why?"
0: Can, can you look more haunted?
1: <laughs> I don't know if I want that part in the film. <laughs>